training increases sales productivity by 22% if done well, but training and coaching together as a combination increases sales productivity by 88%. There you go. If done well. That's insane. That's awesome. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. What do you get when you combine 15 years of sales enablement experience with two tech giants across three continents? That's right, one of the most recognizable names in the APEC sales enablement community. If you're into driving business results with transformative enablement strategies, she should be your go-to person. Today, we're lucky enough that it's our turn. Please welcome Pooja Kumar. Pooja, thank you so much for joining today. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. For those people that don't know you, what's your background and what do you do at Oracle? So my name is Pooja Kumar. I have worked in the IT industry. I actually started off my career in hospitality, but I moved into the IT industry about 20 years ago. And I've worked in sales, marketing, and for a lot of that period, possibly about 15 years, I've worked in sales enablement. I actually started off my career in Australia, but I've lived in three other countries. I've lived in Australia, in India, and now in Kuala Lumpur. And I've been very lucky that my work has enabled me to work within not just these countries, but also with the different cultures around Asia Pacific, as well as globally in sales enablement, which is where my passion is. Today, I am Director of Sales Enablement and Organizational Culture for the Business Development Group Asia Pacific, and I'm based here in KL. Awesome. I'm also a host and a partner for an enablement community called Trust Enablement, which is a community that we have put together to be focused on the enablers, and it's been created by enablers, where we share a lot of content. And hopefully, enablement professionals like others like me learn to work and collaborate and grow from. That's awesome. Love that attitude. That's a theme that I come across over and over again, that global sales enablement community, not only enabling their own sales team, but also their peers globally. So I think that's a great thing you guys do there. Thank you. I can also relate to what you've done with your career in terms of using your skills to travel and experience different locations. So I think we're fully aligned there. I only made it to Australia from Germany, but yeah, might not be the last stop. We'll see. No, Malaysia is a great place. Come over. That's right. My wife actually has a Malaysian background, so there's a possibility. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. We'll find you something really good here, Felix. <laughs> Sounds good. I've got to record it, so there's no <laughs> escape for you now. <laughs> so in, in terms of your sales team, your SDR team at Oracle, what do those guys sell exactly? So our team was put together about four years ago to really take Oracle's cloud offering into the market in Asia Pacific and Japan. And so, yeah, we sell our cloud and applications offerings. Okay. And it's uh, organizations of all sizes? Yes, absolutely. SMB and enterprise across the board. Yeah, yeah. You knowing different parts of the world, obviously, India, Australia, Asia with Malaysia specifically, how would you say does the buying process in Southeast Asia compare to the rest of the world? 
It's a really good question, and I think it's an important question because people look at ASEAN or Southeast Asia as this one country, and it's not. It's 11 different countries with 11 unique cultures and different political landscapes and priorities, individual business priorities. So the reason it's a good question is because in my experience, every one of these countries has got a different buying process. So Malaysia, when we're not in lockdown, Malaysia and Singapore are connected by a bridge. It should take up just about five to six hours between the two. The buying process in Singapore is so significantly different to the buying process in even in Malaysia. So Singapore is fast, very quick to make decisions on the IT side, very technical and ready to go. I mean, they've already made their decision before you do the call. Whereas in Malaysia, it's very relationship-based, the decision-making. And that's just Malaysia and Singapore. Myanmar is completely different because its landscape, its political landscape is so different. So are the business priorities for the companies over there. And I think it's really important to recognize that when you're selling into Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sounds similar to Europe. Yeah. People outside of Europe oftentimes think of Europe as, as one market, but it starts at the different countries and it continues on a country level into a regional level. For example, in Germany, which is a market that I'm through to my heritage quite familiar with, there's such significantly regional differences, let's say, for example, between Berlin and Munich, culturally, and right. the way certain areas of business are being handled. So I can imagine that there's such a high degree of complexity that you have to deal with in Southeast Asia as well. Yeah, I did have that perspective on Europe, but not so much on Germany. So I didn't yeah. realize it's really so different. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a couple of countries. So you said Singapore is really fast in the decision-making process compared to, let's say, Malaysia and Myanmar. How do you deal with those differences and how do you prepare your sales team for those differences? So I think it's really important for not just me, but any sales leader who sells into these markets to recognize the differences and understand the country, the challenges or the markets in each one of these countries. The other thing that's really important to engage with your clients is to be able to bring the right content and bring the right resources in. That is, you may not have something that's relevant to, say, Myanmar, because you may not have brilliant fresh content that is Myanmar-specific, but bring something as close as you could. And that's the same thing with Southeast Asia. Bring content that is aligned to that market. Mm. I think that's the key and understand your client. So not just the persona, not just the business, which is really important, but ask all the right questions, ask lots of questions to understand your client and understand what is valuable to them first. When you speak about content, like what sort of content does your sales team use and from your experience see as being the most impactful content? I'm starting to see across Southeast Asia, there is a lot more uptake for videos and video content that is starting to become a lot more of a trend right now in terms of consumability. Our sales teams use a lot of customer success stories and infographics, but I'm finding that video content is really king right now. It's mm, awesome. What about you? What do you see in terms of content being used? I think 
In terms of the content formats, of course, video is always key. If you have the capabilities to produce video, you should do it, you know, as long as you keep it concise and valuable to the client. There's also a big difference between, you know, having a 20-minute video recording of a webinar versus some really concise bit of information that you can share via video. So I think that difference needs to be considered. But generally speaking, yeah, I, I agree with video being really valuable. In terms of the actual subject matter, I think what I see working best, and I had an extensive conversation with another guest on this podcast recently as well, is around the kind of topics that you cover. And I think there's a clear distinction that you can see between companies that are able to create really big impact through their sales content versus companies that don't. And companies that do create a big impact, they really use content to position their sales force as consultants rather than salespeople. And the key difference is there that it's more about the difference, first of all, the trends that are happening in market that are impacting mm -hmm. the target market and how your product relates to those trends and can support mitigating risks, taking advantage of opportunities, and so on, versus like really sales-focused content that is transactional. I agree. That has the main focus of extracting value from the person consuming the content, you know? So I think that self-understanding of the sales force of being consultants and being solvers of business problems for their clients, I think that's a big mindset shift that happens and really distinguishes people that are using content well versus people that are using content not so well. And that's actually the difference that I see as well. I just wasn't mm. able to articulate it as well as you did, Felix. That is absolutely right. I think that piece of having salespeople or your teams be the people who bring thought leadership into the yeah. organization, that is so key. Yeah, yeah. I think there should never ever be the question of what keeps you up at night to the client. I think every salesperson should know what keeps the client up at night because they have the industry understanding and the insight that is needed to tell the person that they're speaking to what should keep them up at night. I think content, especially if you think about large organizations like Oracle, I think content can achieve that at scale across your sales force actually creating and growing little consultants that actually have that industry knowledge and sets your technology apart very early on in the interaction. So you don't wait until 10 meetings have happened and the client has suddenly received like little nuggets of valuable information. Straight from the beginning, you need to ingrain that in the conversation that you're the expert that guides the client towards solving a specific business challenge. And I think if content creating teams, no matter who might that be, you know, like if that's a marketing team or if content is created within the sales team or if it's an external source, they really need to have that as the ultimate goal, growing little consultants and creating business leadership rather than trying to be the person extracting value from the client. You know, I'm going to coin that, creating little consultants. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. And also, I don't think, unless you're a little consultant, I don't think you're going to get to 10 meetings. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, that's just that that comes up over and over again, even though I haven't been able to find the original source. That's that that's something like 54% of sales pipeline stall because salespeople are unable to add value. And that's a research piece of, supposedly by Salesforce, even though I have not been able to find that on Salesforce website. But if that is true and it is a real research piece, that is exactly that point. As a salesperson, you should be able to add value straight from the beginning. If you are not able to do that, of course, you're going to lose the deal. Absolutely.
if you even get to a deal conversation. That's right. So, I mean, from your perspective, let's say we have a lot of Australian listeners and we have a sales leader who might want to expand into the Southeast Asian market or is tasked to expand their sales operations into Southeast Asian markets. What would your advice be to those leaders to be successful in the region? I think it's really important to understand the market. And I like creating little consultants, but creating a sales team that understands the market and is consultative in their approach. That is, in Southeast Asia, in many cases, customers are learning and moving at a very fast pace on their own. And what they need is someone who can consult with them rather than someone who can sell to them. So that would be my two pieces of advice. For sure. And in terms of the knowledge levels in the Southeast Asian markets, would you say there's a lot of education to be done? In terms of the broader market that you're targeting, like your buyers, do you think there's a lot of education to be done on their end in terms of the technology that you bring to the table? Yes, absolutely. I do think that in some cases, our consultants are actually, and we call them business development consultants, by the way, not SDRs. In a lot of Southeast Asia, so not all markets, but in a lot of Southeast Asia, it is an education process for our customers to understand what technology can do. There is a very, especially in the last 18 months, COVID has increased the level of digital adoption in our customer base. However, there is a fair bit of education to be done and is being done around what that could then do for them and how they can really accelerate their business with this digital adoption. So, yes, there is some learning. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a big opportunity, like if you're able as a vendor to transfer knowledge from other regions into markets that might not have that same knowledge level, you're instantly able to make a bigger impact. Absolutely. Yeah, we're absolutely using case studies and success stories to be able to do that, to be able to educate them along the way. And speaking of education, I know that you're really passionate about coaching. I am. And that's been something that you've done throughout your career. What would you say makes a great sales coach? So I think that a great sales coach should have a little bit of training. Sales coaching comes from being trained how to coach a little bit. You don't have to be an accredited or certified coach, but you need some basics. A good sales coach is curious and asks meaningful questions, gets a real understanding of the motivator for the sales rep, what is really going to make a difference for the sales rep, and doesn't advise <laughs> on a solution, rather lets, leaves the rep up just through the questioning techniques ask, and leaves the rep feeling confident that they are able to solve the problems. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great way to grow people, you know, if you're able to achieve that, to uh, allow them to figure out solutions themselves. I think I've been lucky enough to experience that myself, and I've been also lucky enough to be able to pass that on to staff that I've managed. So I think seeing that work is a really rewarding thing. You know, Felix, at Trust Enablement, we've just done a sales coaching focus month. So we've been talking to coaches around the world to ask them what makes people successful. And these are the key themes. The other key theme, and to your point, is I think great sales coaches develop great sales coaches. So the reason I moved into coaching myself is because I had some great coaching when I was a sales rep. Yeah, yeah, excellent. There was at IBM, I suppose. Yeah, it was at IBM. Awesome. In terms of the training that you offer and that you pass on to your sales teams, are there specific frameworks that you advocate for in the business development space? And if so, what makes them better than others? 
So, and it's not just in the business development space. And so I've worked across the spectrum of sellers. So from business development to inside sales, to field sales, to channel sales. And I think that the framework over the years that I think works well is training plus coaching or training plus reinforcements plus coaching. That's kind of my combination that I use in all of my enablement programs. And the reason I think it works well is because it takes a while. Training is about changing behaviors and it takes some time and some reinforcement to change behaviors. I am not a fan of boot camps. You know, those one-off things that you go and do and go, right, okay, I've done this for three weeks and now I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, you're not ready to go. <laughs> Because you've forgotten everything that you did on day one. So I do think that training requires reinforcements with continuous learning tactics over the year or over the period of time of the sales rep's career. And then along with that, adding sales coaching in is key. And I'll talk about that a little bit. But the thing that's really big at the moment and the thing that we're trying to do more of is this aspect of micro learning. So learning in 15 to 20 minute spurts, either through videos or through podcasts on the go, allowing the rep to be able to learn rather than having them on a, in a class or on a Zoom for an hour, allowing them, breaking that down into bite-sized pieces to allow them to learn. Mm -hmm. And I do want to make one point around training and coaching. So there's a lot of stats around why coaching is important. The one that I love the most is this one, which I think I saw in HBR, but I can't be sure. But I love it anyway, so I'm going to quote it. Training increases sales productivity by 22% if done well, but training and coaching together as a combination increases sales productivity by 88%. There you go. If done well. That's insane. That's awesome. I think if you're a salesperson let's say 30 years ago versus today, I think you're so much more set up to succeed. Back in the days, you had to figure it all out yourself and yeah. make sure for yourself that the training really worked and try to find ways to relate it back to what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Now with awesome frameworks around coaching, I think it's so much easier for salespeople to succeed on that basis, but also so much easier for companies to really generate ROI on that basis. And yeah, those numbers don't surprise me, to be honest. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. And they don't surprise me either, but it's nice to put that number in yeah. to a conversation like this. 88% <laughs> versus 22%, which one do you want? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> in the past, so you've worked for really large organizations, as we touched on before, when it comes to sales enablement, obviously, even though it's been around for a while, it's still really young discipline within a lot of businesses. What were your main challenges in establishing sales enablement within the organizations that you worked for? And what would your advice be on that front for people who are just starting out in that space and want to really make a difference on that front for their companies? So good question. So in establishing a sales enablement function or even starting to work in the sales enablement function that already exists, the biggest thing is leadership buy-in, so buy-in from your stakeholders. And in order to get leadership buy-in, my experience has told me you need numbers, like 22 and 88%, but you need numbers <laughs> to be able to build your case for sales enablement. And once you've got that leadership buy-in, it's so much easier for you to deploy your programs and really make a difference and impact. 
Yeah, that's right. I think proving value, especially to senior executives who might be more analytically minded and might want to do a ROI analysis before allowing certain initiatives to be started, they can only be helpful. But there's so many resources out there now that I think would help people who want to start a sales enablement function within their business can rely on. I think it's getting easier and easier. And as you said, the results really show the impact and the positive change that can happen for businesses if they allow that to happen. Yeah. And actually on that point, Felix, one thing that I should mention, I think it's important and we forget to do this as enablers. I think it's important to remember to advertise your results. So have one or two good news stories to tell on your fingertips to anyone who asks executive or not at any given time because you need that buy-in constantly this is a new function and that buy-in is important constantly exactly i think communicating results is important to the senior leadership but also to other departments you might be collaborating with and by the nature of sales enablement that's a lot of departments so i think communicating across departments what sort of impact has been created by collaborators really creates that culture or creates a momentum that you really want in order to create a lot of or seek a lot of contribution from a lot of areas across the business yeah absolutely in terms of the infrastructure that you have on hand at oracle it's obviously really impressive and something that a lot of companies would only dream of having a global business that's been so large and successful for a really long time How do you leverage the infrastructure that you have at your fingertips to maximize the impact of your local sales enablement work? You know, I am lucky. We do have some great partners at Oracle that I work with and some very good content that we work with. So I leverage my partners very closely. We work together to drive to the one mission, which is to drive pipeline for the business development group. Simple. And I work with all parts of our organization. We've got an awesome training part of our organization, manager development, content development, so the GTN part of our organization. So bringing them all together and I have regular interlocks. Often they're speaking to each other through these forums, bringing the best of what we can to be able to solve business problems quarterly, monthly. Yeah, yeah. So it's all about communication for you. It's all about leveraging what we have. I don't really have an enablement budget so it's all about leveraging what i've got and driving the best and bringing everyone onto the one i guess platform to be able to deliver on the one mission and i've been very lucky in that well it sounds like you've got a lot of smart people in your organization and that's probably already much more that you can achieve tapping into those resources than people can with the budget so yeah i guess that's the advantage of having a lot of smart brains around you Yeah. I also do have two sales coaches. So we've got two pillars in Oracle that we mainly support. One is the tech pillar and one is the applications pillar. So once I've worked with the ecosystem and brought in the right training and the right content, I also have two sales coaches that are working with the sales reps on the ground to help them through calls, uh, coach them through calls and prospecting and moving deals through the system. I can imagine that collaboration has quite changed since COVID like that coaching process, how has that been impacted? It's been a little bit harder because it is much easier sitting next to someone and kind of working them through. So it's been a little bit harder. But what we've, in terms of being able to do the the coaching, because you're doing it remotely, and actually we've now got people in different countries as well because they just weren't able to move due to COVID and move here to Malaysia. So 
it has been a little harder, but we've just been more disciplined with it. My sales coaches have just become more disciplined with it. So there's scheduled coaching in their calendars. There's a scheduled review. It's become a lot more of a formal process since COVID. Okay. Well, it's probably a good thing, right? Also, after the pandemic, <laughs> if you're able to structure the interaction a bit more rather than being at talk and just relying on people tapping you on the shoulder. Yes, exactly. It has been useful for us as well. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Pooja, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome to have you on the show. If people want to connect with you further or engage with the content that you publish online, where can they do that? I am best found on LinkedIn, Pooja Kumar. The one at Oracle at the moment. There's actually one more Pooja Kumar at Oracle, so make sure you find the Director <laughs> of Sales Enabled. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and let's do this again soon. Yes, thank you, and thanks for having me on. Appreciated. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.